<laughs> I should have oh, come up from underneath. That would have been good. I didn't think of it until right at the middle. Hi, no. Adami here. Dan Nathan there. It's Halloween. That would make it October the 31st. It's Monday. Market call, 1 o'clock Eastern time. We are presented today by our sponsor, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. In just a few brief minutes, Carter Braxton worth, worth charting will be joining us. October has been a historic month for a myriad of different reasons, both good and bad. But here we are on Halloween where things can get spooky, as I tried to do at the top of the show. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. It was not particularly spooky, no, I but I know we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. I love, you know, guy, we were talking about your New York football giants the yes. other day. And, mm. uh, you know, yesterday they, they really, at least their special teams didn't show up, which didn't give you a fighting chance to kind of take on the uh, Seattle Seahawks there. But that must have been pretty disappointing to drop to what six and two right now, six and two into the bye week, a record that I would have signed up for in the spring. Yeah. But yes, when you when you're six and one playing a team that you can compete with you get greedy as they say but listen they didn't get it done uh nope. on special teams listen they didn't get it done on offense either offense did nothing all day and a shout out to geno smith who has stuck with it now in yeah. his entire career and i tell you what right now he's playing in the pro bowl not that that means anything but he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league statistically yeah, it was interesting. Wasn't Mark Sanchez calling that game? And did 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 uh, Gino Smith replace Mark Sanchez? I don't know. Maybe he did over there in the mm. New York Jets. Uh, all right, let's get into it, buddy. We got like a ton of stuff going on this week. It is kind of interesting after that little rally that we had last week, despite all of those kind of earnings disasters from some of the biggest names in the S&P 500. We're kind of coming in a little bit here. We do have more earnings. We're going to hit on a bunch of them that we think are particularly interesting. Obviously, Wednesday's Fed meeting is the main event. And then Friday, that jobs report. Guy, do you think Fed chair, the honorable Fed chair Powell, gets a look at the October jobs report before he has his presser at 2.15 on yeah, Wednesday? You know, I'd like to think the answer is no, uh, but I'm not naive enough to, you know, to think that it, there's a potential for that to happen. So, you know, maybe he gets a nod, you know, a few hours, you know, the yeah. evening before, let's say, so he can temper his remarks or, but, uh, you know, who knows? With that said, I, I got to be honest with you, Dan. I don't know what the market is rooting for here. Is it rooting for a terrible number in the terms of jobs? In other words, unemployment going higher because that would yeah. signify that the Fed's job is being done. Or as like, like a normal citizen, you're rooting for a good number, which suggests the job market is still strong. And I don't I honestly don't know the answer to that right now. You know, you know what though? Listen, guy, and you know, we've talked about this a little bit. There's a scenario where, you know, maybe the worst is behind us as it relates to inflation. We were talking about Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley. We've been talking about his tactical bullish call. He's out this morning talking about the potential for the Fed to be nearly done after their December meeting of 50 basis point hike. I know that Goldman's saying that maybe we see a couple 25 basis point hikes in the new year. But think about this. If we can actually, you know, get through the fact that we normalize interest rates, which you are happy about, that inflation that was on the other side of all the monetary and fiscal stimulus from the pandemic, whether they recognized it early enough or not, okay, but they definitely kept their foot on the pedal for too long. And if, if, 
that unemployment rate does not have to go up meaningfully. Well, then didn't the Fed kind of do their job in the last three years or so? I mean, I'm just saying maybe there's a different guy, Adami, how he thinks about the U.S. Federal Reserve on the other side of whatever bear market recession that we have. I like right what now. you did there. I, I yeah. really like what you did there because you gave me the best case scenario and you're trying to get me to no. say that maybe I've been too too hard on Jerome Maybe. Powell and his band of brothers at the Federal Reserve. And you're not going to get me to say that because, <laughs> again, there's a lag effect here that we're not taking into consideration. And the long-term impacts of rates moving up as precipitously as they have, I don't think we felt that effect either. In terms of yeah. unemployment, you're right. There is a scenario where maybe the job market stays strong. Maybe wage growth continues to sort of grind higher. Maybe inflation on the other side of the spectrum starts to taper. and Maybe they can sort of thread this needle. That would be miraculous if they're able to do it. And that would be under the backdrop of a market, although has sold off, has not sold off in a meaningful way. I mean, we're not talking about a disaster here in the equity markets by any stretch of imagination. Individual stocks, yes. Broader market, no. So right now on Halloween, uh, things are looking pretty good. Here's a chart of the S&P. I mean, we've thought now since October 13th, 14th, that was a Thursday, Friday, that the setup was eerily similar to what we saw back in June. In June, from the middle of June into August, we saw almost a 19% rally. Then we made a new low. And we're probably looking at what, Dan, about 10, 11% or so from the bottom here in yep. terms of the bounce. Now, I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't think we're getting to that trend line. I think we're going to sort of stop somewhere in between the 50-day and the 200-day. But that's what makes markets. Yeah. Now, listen, you've had a really good call. I've been a little more apprehensive. I haven't been that bearish at the moment. I do still think that we're going to round trip the S&P move back towards 3,400. That would be 340 in the SPY that we have mm-hmm. up here. Mm-hmm. I'll just say this, you know, when you look at this chart, there's clearly room to the upside here, especially we get through this Fed meeting and there's any indication that they might take their foot off the pedal. You're going to have a rally here, you know, up towards that declining 200-day moving average. But I'm with you. I'd be shocked if we're above 4,100 or make a new high from that August high anytime soon. And I just want to say this. I want to get your kind of thought on this. If I look at the options market and the SPY right here, guy, so between now and Friday's close, the at the money straddle, that would be the 386 strike. If you take the put and you take the call and you combine the premium of both, okay, that expire on Friday afternoon, gets you about 11 bucks, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's about 3% in either direction. That's how the back of the envelope you figure out what the implied move in the options market is between now and again. So we have the Fed meeting on Wednesday, and then we have the jobs data on early Friday. That's been a market mover. If you want to play in either direction with defined risk, let's say you were bullish, you wanted to buy the at the money call, it's about one and a half percent from here. And the opposite would be true for the at the money put. Does that seem expensive to you or not? 3% between now and Friday's close in either direction. I personally, I don't think it is. And listen, that's under a backdrop of a VIX that's gone from 34 a couple of weeks ago down to what, about a 26 and a half, 27 handle. So I don't think it is in the context of what we just laid out in the context of the earnings we still have this week. Again, Fed Fed uh, meeting on Wednesday, jobs number on Friday. So yep. this is a week where if you're ever going to play it for a big percentage move one way or another, this would be the week. So I don't think it's expensive, but I think other people would submit that it is expensive and they'd look yeah. at it completely differently. I mean, if we had Tom Sosnoff here, my sense is he'd be looking at the same thing, but he'd playing be selling it from it. a much different vantage point. He'd be selling that move. And we will have Tom mm-hmm. Sosnoff on Wednesday's market call. One thing is really interesting, um, this five-year chart of the SPY. Carter had a great chart and we're charting, um, I think, a week or two ago, just kind of showing. 
showing the you know the uptrend that we had over the prior two years to that high and then this downtrend you look at this downtrend and you say to yourself you can see how you could get to 4100 mm-hmm. but then i don't know about you i'd be inclined to sell that with both hands and on the bottom end of that downtrend channel it gets you back to round tripping that move from the pre-pandemic highs guy this one real quickly here you know on market call i think on thursday and friday we we're focused on the 10-year u.s treasury yield right the potential for it breaking that uptrend that's been in place from you know early august where it was what two and a half went all the way to four and a quarter a little higher than that you look at that breakout level from september it's three and a half you see the uptrend i mean if we were to see you know the fed kind of just be a little more dovish don't you see this 10-year going back towards that breakout level yes and this is the trend line you've been drawing for a while this uptrend line carter's drawing it as well and you know it's been steep it's been lower left upper right it's had pullbacks it tested that uptrend line now we seemingly are through it i again i think everything we're looking at in terms of an economy slowing down the globe slowing down potential fight to quality in the form of bonds leads to exactly what you just outlined a move lower in yields, which theoretically would mean higher in in an instrument like the TLT. And you've been playing for a move like that. I'm shocked, though, I'll tell you that rates have hung in as much as they have, especially in terms of the 10-year. The two-year doesn't surprise me that much. I think it actually should be higher. The 10-year, the stickiness of the 10-year, given all the things we've been talking about, does. Yeah. All right. Let's talk some stocks because there's still some earnings to come here. And semis are of particular focus to both me and you. I think I was a little surprised by the Intel bounce about 10% mm-hmm. after its earnings last week. Sentiment was really poor. I mean, like you and I have been talking about it for a while. You were unhappy if some of our uh, market call viewers recall your take on the mobile eye um, IPO that the company spin out, spun out to. What do they what do they spin it out to do? To unlock what? To unlock the value to unlock yeah. the value of Mobileye. Yeah. Yeah. So in other yeah. words, and you're doing this to me just to piss I me know. off on a I Monday, know. like Damona yeah. woke up in such good mood. Yeah. So what he's effectively selling, Mr. Gelsinger is saying is, we at Intel, we didn't yeah. we didn't know how to unlock the value. We couldn't figure it out, the geniuses that we have. So in order to unlock the value of Mobileye, we're going to spin it out into the public market. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just look at this. this It's a it's a and I know there are people out there would agree with me. I'm sure there are bankers out there that would be like, you're you're just not looking at the right way. I'm looking at it the right way. If it was if you were truly good at your job, you'd be able to figure out how to unlock the value. It's like if you're the manager of a team and you have a guy playing or a gal playing on the team. It's your job to figure out how to unlock their potential. Back to you. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason I disagree with it wasn't part of his plan to buy that company five years ago. He wasn't the CEO then. So he's kind of, you know, making making do okay. with what he's the, got. Fair, and and we're, we're going down. Now we're going down. A, I get it. So here's the way I would have messaged yeah. it. You know what? Prior to my um, tenure here as CEO of Intel, uh, we made a purchase of Mobileye. There was a vision then. I don't, we don't share that vision now. So- we are going to use the proceeds of a mobile IPO to build out our foundry plants and to invest in our core businesses. Back to you. Yeah, that's you the should. messaging, by the way. I'm with you. I'm with you, Bro Namath. I mean, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And 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 who knows? Maybe they're gonna announce a huge share buyback, which you're probably not a huge fan of, or you know, increase their capex, which they've been declining because they're moving more towards a fab list, despite the fact they're onshoring some jobs. All right, let's talk about AMD right here because this is one. Again, you know, they report this week mm-hmm. stocks down 60 some percent from its 52 week highs, um, you know, expecting earnings 
and sales grade the high single digits next year. We can start thinking about next year. It's a cheap stock trades below a market multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this one that you think is getting close? There's probably one more quarter of bad guidance that's going to come here, right? So I'm just curious. Do you think investors look through it the way they looked through the Intel quarter last week? So the answer is yes. If Intel bounced on their quarter where data center was down, I want to say 36% year over year, I'd have to go back and look, but I think I'm close. Then I think AMD, given their valuation, given that it's just a better company, regardless, almost regardless what they say, I think the stock should bounce. And we played a game of traded or faded last week. I took AMD and I traded it and I'll stand by that. You know, this stock could trade up to high 70s, 80 bucks and still be in a significant downtrend. But in terms of percentage move, it's going to be significant. So I like the setup in earnings for AMD. And if I'm wrong, you know, Dan, I'll come and say, man, I missed that one. But this one yeah. to me sets up well on the long side. No, I I think so. And maybe there's a way to play it with kind of defined risk. I'll just say this. When you think about, you know, the two companies and how different they are, their market caps are, are not too far apart anymore, despite the fact that Intel is two and a half times the sales of AMD. One of the big parts of this story is them being able to really over like, execute much better than Intel. And over the last five years, you know, AMD's gross margins have improved. Let's, you know, call it out of five, six um, you know, percentage points mm-hmm. while Intel's mm-hmm. have gone the opposite mm-hmm. way um, to a, a larger degree, actually, probably, probably about 10 points below. If you look at this five-year chart, to your point, Guy, you know, that breakout level from, you know, 2020 or so after that huge ramp that it has come round trip, the whole thing, maybe it looks a little bit interesting here. Clearly, if they were to guide down and the stock were to get pummeled, I would be a buyer down there. All right, here's a name, Qualcomm. You mentioned this last week. You'll kind of like this one down here a little bit though. And so talk to us a little bit about the story. And this is a five-year chart here. Again, you know, had that massive breakout um, a couple years ago, round tripped a lot of that. There still seems like there's maybe a gap to be filled towards that $100 level. Are you a little more apprehensive of this one into the print? Yeah. You know, I was feeling like a genius in Qualcomm for a long time because this was one of those under the radar semi names that nobody was talking about, but we would bring it up in terms of valuation and how the you know the problems that they faced and so many of the problems that Qualcomm faced were self-induced. They seemingly got through, right? And they were this new Qualcomm and everything seemed to make sense. Margins were improving. The quarters started to build on one another and the stock looked great late last year, early this year. Obviously, a lot of things changed for a lot of different companies, Qualcomm notwithstanding. Am I as, as confident no, unfortunately, I'm not. And you you have that green line, you know, that down, tr- that, excuse me, that support. I mean, we're going to probably test that. And that little gap in the chart going back to last summer, I believe, uh, or two summers ago, I should say, looks like it's going to be in play. So in a game of would you rather, I'd much rather AMD than Qualcomm at these levels. All right. Lastly, let's just look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks um, the semiconductor index here. We know that NVIDIA, Taiwan Semi are huge components mm-hmm. of that. NVIDIA has had a huge run. I think it was 105 to 135 here. I think some of the silver lining of all that spend over there um, at Meta, the Facebook is is possibly for high-end um, GPUs that NVIDIA makes. And I think that was something that some investors mm-hmm. were looking at. We know we're not going to get earnings from them for a little bit. But when you look at the SMH guy, the potential for this thing 
to kind of round trip that move back to the pre-pandemic highs still seems pretty likely to me. And obviously, you know, a big part of that. I mean, right now on the near term basis, we're contending with that June low here. The fact that the bounce has not been that significant uh, leads me to believe that maybe we see lower lows and then maybe we see this thing back towards that kind of $100 level. And if you look at, you know, that horizontal line you just drew again, I mean, it's it looks very similar, although without the gap that the Qualcomm chart looks like, you know, so support finds itself probably around 155 or so. And I think you're going to have winners and losers in the space. And that's not I'm not splitting the atom there with that comment. But, you know, they're going to be companies that I think acquit themselves very well in this environment and others that yeah. are just clearly with the beneficiaries of a lot of, a lot of double ordering valuations got out of control. Now they're paying for it on the back end. And, you know, Qualcomm could be one of those. I think AMD's on the other side of it. You mentioned NVIDIA, and they clearly got a bounce on the back of the Facebook news without question. It's undeniable. Look at the chart. Look at the move in Facebook lower and look at the subsequent move in NVIDIA. But you wonder how um, long-term that is. Is it short-lived in terms of the stock move? Because even at current levels, with the sell-off we've seen, NVIDIA is still an expensive stock, Dan. I think you would admit that as well. I would, even at these levels here, um, and again, I was looking to possibly buy it 110-ish, and Danny uh, Moses on our podcast, when I said that a few weeks ago, he's like, all right, let's see if you buy it when it gets there. And it did get down there so quickly, I didn't have the opportunity to do it, but that is a name I want a dollar cost average in if we were to retest those levels. All right, real quickly, before we get to Carter, he's been patiently waiting here, guy. Let's hit Champing some of these. at the bit. I learned something yeah, new, by the way. Let, yeah. let, let, let's hit Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Amgen. We got some earnings this week, and we have the XLV uh, – uh, XLV, the healthcare ETF um, that tracks the, uh, the the space. You have been pounding the table, I think, on CNBC's Fast Money at least a couple times. Eli Lilly and Amgen have been your final trades. You've liked them in the market that we've been in for a whole host of reasons. Talk to us about into the print beer because we drew some lines on these charts. You know, the Eli Lilly and the Amgen feels like they could be a little bit of a check back. I think the Amgen was really interesting. Barclays downgraded the stock to sell. You don't see that too frequently. They were at a hold. How are you thinking about these names um, into the earnings this week? And and for the record, they they haven't exactly gotten Amgen right. But let's look at Eli Lilly real quick. Um, Just bring that chart back up where we could toggle back for your bingo players it's had a tremendous move and but i will tell you and i know you know this we've seen at least six seven times over the last year year and a half back and fills as we say in the business where the stock has a run up to all new, new all-time highs trades off 10 15 subsequently goes up to makes a new all-time high i think that's what we're seeing now and i do think there's a chance that even if this quarter comes out okay, people might sort of sell the news on this in terms of valuation because at these levels, Eli Lilly is expensive. Go to Amgen, though, the flip side of the coin. Amgen is not expensive. I mean, Amgen trades mid-teens multiple, below a market multiple. It's probably cheap to its peers. This is a stock that recently made a new all-time high, albeit you know, sort of in a grinding way. I get it. So Amgen, historically, if you look... They'll sell the quarter in terms of the release, and then a few days later, the stock is grinding higher again. So I think we're going to see similar. I think the danger could be Eli Lilly comes in line. People sell it on valuation. I think you buy that dip. Amgen, to me, is just historically the stock reports, the stock sells off, and then a week or so later, it's higher. So I like both. I don't like either one of them into the print. I think it could get a little scary there. 
All right, fair enough. Um, all right, let's do it. Carter Braxton Worth. No the man, way. The myth, the legend no way. of worth charting. Of worth charting. <laughs> he is patiently, patiently waiting for us. Carter, you heard us talk. Those are the big earnings setups for this week. What about the macro yeah. setup? What are you what are you kind of feeling into the Fed meeting, the jobs data? We obviously have the midterms next week. It feels like this is gonna be a very eventful, I don't know, seven to ten trading days over the next couple of weeks. Well, that's right. So you just, as outlined, you got Fed, elections, you got CPI, you got the jobs report, and you got ongoing earnings. So it's, it. I suppose there is a, a sentiment that if and as we sort of muddle through all of that and there are no real surprises, the market is free to run, meaning people do want to believe or believe in seasonality and seasonality works until it doesn't. So it's nothing to really rely on um, year end rally. And so forth. there's nothing to stop it. That In fact, there is a tendency of big, they used to call it, uh, you know, sort of painting the tape and marking up their books. People run big portfolio managers, run up a stock as you get paid as a percentage of AUM at the end of the year. Um, I'm not as uh, I'm not as sanguine as all that. Look, we did a poll, uh, just a simple one. Market will end higher, lower than where it is right now at the end of last week, and um, 55% of some 6,000 respondents on Twitter, anyway, went with higher. 45 went lower. So that's not any real conviction. That's close to 50-50. The outcome was similar with uh, worth charting subscribers and institutional portfolio managers, strategists, economists. Uh, desk analysts and so forth. So we shall see. Um, I, I think I would say this, that we, uh, we're we up 11, almost 12% off the low. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, is that if one was ever hoping for the Fed to uh, quit, to pivot, to back off, it's this kind of thing that doesn't help the case. We would be better off now if we were down 11% more from the October, because then we would be at 3,100, interestingly, and the Fed would be like, wow, we got a problem here. The S&P is down now 38%. We got a we got a. Yeah, I, you make a great point. And not that I think that the Fed is focused necessarily on the S&P, but you're right. It would have done a lot of work for them if, in fact, we came into this meeting significantly lower than we are now. This makes their job that much more difficult. But, you know, you know, we've talked about it. I think you and I both agree. Dan does as well. I think if there is a put in the S&P, it's it's not here. Let's put it that way. And it's probably, you know, closer to 3000 than certainly the levels we're seeing right now. You work over the weekend. I mean, I would just love to shadow you one weekend because you clearly just go through things and 40 stocks caught your eye. Probably could have been more than that out of the S&P 500. But You've decided these four, there are a bunch of names that have had some ridiculous moves. I'm I'm paraphrasing, and you brought forth them today here on Market Call. Right. So this is just a snapshot of the front page, and uh, it kind of covers obviously not the detail of the report, but what we have here is I tried to look at uh, S and P 500 and larger names within the S and P that had very big days on Friday, which you can see in the column their performance the universe average versus the market, um, but also on a one week, one month and three month basis. So this, for instance, these 40 as a basket are up, you know, 22, 23% over the past one month, the market's up, you know, nine. Mm -hmm. And uh, on a three month basis, of course, the basket's up 10%, the market's down five, six. So you're talking about a major spread here. 
but it's not just the percentage; it's the charts themselves that that um, that that made the basket, right? I didn't look at the percentages first; I looked at the charts. And so, these are names that are not Apple and Google and Microsoft. But it's not necessarily value, uh, although it has a bent towards that. It's just individual securities whose bounces of the past four weeks, to my eye, are extreme. Hey, Carter, real quickly, though, it's funny that you mentioned they're not Apple, Microsoft or Google. Forget Apple here. You know, it's fascinating. You you listed those 40 stocks and they're about three trillion dollars in market cap. And when you think about Microsoft and Google, they're about three and a half trillion dollars or, or a little more than that. And they look the exact opposite way of some of these charts. Yeah. So walk us through like why, you know, the straight line move off of 52 week low, why this catches your eyes because you're seeing dozens of stocks do that. And then guy, you know, that Carter's just old school, like you, you know, his comment, there's nothing slick here. It's just charts, right? He's saying I'd be trimming, I'd be writing calls. So if you're going to do something to a call guy, you'd be writing calls. Also, that's how you learn to sell a call. I love that. That's just kind of old school lingo, isn't it, Carter? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I try to phrase this. The idea is if you're long, you want to do something before someone does it for you. Right. We all know what happens when you overstay your welcome and then all of a sudden the stocks. Wow. We just gave back 10 percent of those uh, 15 points we just made. And so for those who are looking for shorts, I think these are actionable names. But remember, 98 percent of the capital in the world is long only. Shorting yeah. is a fringe, fringe thing. Uh, the big endowments and the big pension plans are long. And and so. Uh, I'm all for shorting, and I think these are good candidates. Um, but I, I think the important thing is that the the market has been able to not go lower because of rotation. We know that, right? And these are big liquid names that are able to suck up some of the selling mm-hmm. that we've seen in Apple and Google and Microsoft. But the problem now is that we've ha- these stocks have moved. You've got stocks like a Honeywell up 25%, McDonald's up 20 in four weeks, so that they've they've moved a lot and they're not in a position to uh, sort of go further day to day. In fact, I think they're in a position to give back. And so if and as the big heavies in tech don't really move and these that are overdone give back, it all nets out as lower prices. So uh, I think uh, what we've got here are three stocks that are, should be quite uniform in their nature. The first is Honeywell and it's overshot its 150. But what I would point about Honeywell is notice it makes a perfect double bottom. It goes right to its June low and holds. Now, the other two are different. Take a look. It's the same circumstance here for Illinois Toolworks, but Illinois Toolworks October low is considerably higher than its June low. And then the final stock of the three in Caterpillar, its October low is lower then it's June low. So one held, one made a new low, and then one didn't. If we were to make a basket of these three stocks, I think we might have that here, um, as though they were one security and plot them as an equal weight basket, uh, you'll see what these look like. And okay, there it is. So that's the ITW Honeywell Caterpillar basket. It's as though it were a single security or index or commodity or uh, currency but it is those three stocks plotted equal weight. So I want to sort of take a look at where that is in relation to the 150-day moving average. And then that's a one-year. Let's make this longer term. Okay, so that ricochet, you can see the double bottom, and it kind of held at those tops, so it found support. But the ricochet itself is just too steep. And to put this in context, if we were to look at this basket's relative performance 
to the S&P. All right, now here we go. And let's toggle. So let's go back to the basket on a five-year basis on its own. Now, remembering that, we'll make it a two-panel. And what we have on the bottom, the second chart here, is the basket's relative performance. So if you just were to look at the bottom panel, that's mm -hmm. simply plotting the ratio of the basket to the S&P, which depicts the relative performance. It's not about the level itself. It's the direction of the line. If that blue line is declining, the basket's underperforming the S&P. If it's rising, it's outperforming. And the current circumstance is literally so steep that that blue line is going up and to the left. And you can't do that. It's got to go out to the right every day. That is an overbought condition. So the outperformance scares you. I look at this, if we can go back to the first chart and we could quickly go through the three, because I know Dan had some comments. This is how I look at the three. I believe that Honeywell was the first one. So if we could put that Honeywell chart up real quick, I look at this and say, you know what? That double bottom is actually sort of powerful. If we look at Honeywell, sorry. And I would submit the fact that we're stopping here is concerning, but if we can get a close above that sort of, late summer high, I think this stock can continue higher. Let's take a look at the next one because I don't think this looks nearly as good. Illinois Toolworks, again, you had that low. We were not making new low, but the fact that we're running out of gas here, again, below that summer high is concerning. I think we back and fill to the 50-day. I believe that's a 50-day. And the last one real quick, I believe is Caterpillar. This is the scariest one of them all because we did, in fact, make a new low. We have this gap in the chart. And Carter, I think you would submit that it completely overextended to the upside. And at some point, we will absolutely fill that gap. Well, just think of, for, if, to make it more human or immediate to, to one's P&L or PA, think if you buy a $16 stock and it goes to 22. Usually it's right to take a little money off the table. And that's what's happened here. Forget the fact that it's 160 to 220. Mm -hmm. You buy a $16, $17 stock, they pay you out at 22. You hang around or you take a little off. You sell some calls. So th that's the issue. These are huge moves. That's what's allowing the S&P not to go down. But it doesn't yeah. make it all that bullish because right here now, who's going to help the S&P go higher? Caterpillar? So this is like our champion. <laughs> Coach, I can't mm -hmm. do it. I'm exhausted. And all these other guys are exhausted. And we, we're going to yeah. ask Apple to go back on the field. Apple's not in good shape. The problem with the market is that the ones that could help us just helped us. Yeah. Well, well, Carter, here, here's one. We're just going to throw this up really quickly because we have a chart of the OIH. This is the um, ETF that tracks the oil services names. And I think to your point is that this thing is up 50% since late mm -hmm. September. It's getting mm -hmm. very near those highs that we saw in the spring and the summer or early summer I mean, here. Exactly. It, and the XLE itself is right at its former mm -hmm. high to the penny. Yeah. So we just wanted to kind of highlight that one. That's not one I would be playing for a breakout. And I think a lot of those look like great short candidates. I do like to short stocks. I often do it with defined risk through puts or put spreads, or maybe selling some call spreads guy, a dime writing some call spreads here. All right, listen, that was epic. There was nothing slick about that. I almost feel like he's subtweeting us because maybe we're trying to be too slick guy. Do you think that's what Carter's trying to do with it? I have a new slogan, by the way. Maybe, what do they, what do they call when you put a poll on Twitter, Dan? Yeah, it's called putting a poll on Twitter. So here's my new slogan for you, Carter. Yeah. I want you and Kim to talk about this. Maybe Amanda, Dan, Rafis, maybe right. Jacob has thoughts. I don't know. Here you go. Worth charting. No emojis with hearts, just charts. 
that's pretty good. All right. On that yeah, note, guys, with hearts. Guy, yeah, on that note, yeah. you want to take us out? I mean, that's it for today's market call. I want to thank FactSet for providing us with all the charts and data for today's broadcast. Listen, Dan, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget, subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube. Like the video. Leave us a comment, good or bad. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you back tomorrow at 1 p.m. We will see Carter, I believe, on Thursday of this week, if I'm not mistaken, no, or Friday. I don't know. We Friday, got all kinds Friday. of things happening, but he will be back. I will. Be. All right. Friday. All right, Carter. We'll see all you right, Friday. Guys. It's special, special show at 11 o'clock after the jobs report. So that's going to be a big one. Guy, that was a great mic drop with your nothing, no emoji hearts, no, just no, charts. No fancy emoji hearts. Yeah. Just I, think, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today. All right. See you later.